Hello and welcome to the Sister Sunday School class at Anchor Bible Church in Hull, Georgia. I'm Sharon Black. We are in a study called Christianity versus World Religions. And today we're going to be looking at postmodernism. The source of information other than God's Word, which is of course the ultimate source of truth, um, but the textbook that I'm using for this study, among other resources, is called Understanding the Times, a Survey of Competing Worldviews by Jeff Meyer and David Noble. Um, so far, we've looked at Christianity, Islam, secularism, and Marxism. In Christianity, that's us. We believe there is one God, but he exists in Trinity. We believe the Bible is our source of truth and authority. We believe there's a spiritual and a material world, and our purpose is to serve God and spend eternity in heaven with him. Islam is also a theistic worldview, but they believe in one God, who is Allah, that, he, that Allah is not a trinity, and that the Quran is their holy book and their source of authority. They do believe in a spiritual and a material world, and their purpose is to serve Allah and hopefully spend eternity in heaven, but they do not believe that one can know for sure. Then we looked at two of the three atheistic worldviews so far, and today will be the third one. So we've looked at secularism. Secularism has infiltrated the American education system and the public square. Um, secularism, or a secularist says, there is no God, there are only humans, that science is our source of authority, that there's only the material world, there is no spiritual realm. There, the only purpose is to secularize society and education to evolve and to die when it's over. Marxism, uh, the textbook says Marxism is secularism weaponized. Marxism says there's no God, only humans. Science is the source of authority and truth. There's only the material world. But Marxism says that our purpose in life is socioeconomic and political world domination and anything that one can do to further that cause. So today we're going to look at postmodernism. Postmodernism is an atheistic worldview. It's the third one. It's a little bit less influential, but it is becoming more influential, particularly in the United States and elsewhere, including Europe. Um, so we have to understand what modernism is to understand what postmodernism is. So this is going to sound a little bit like a history lesson, and I apologize in advance for that, but it's important for us to see where these ideas came from. So... I want you to picture the United States as a little chubby baby who is just learning to walk because, in fact, the United States was a brand new nation. In 1776, we declared our independence from Great Britain, but we didn't actually achieve that independence until 1783. There was a lot of bloodshed. There was a lot of destruction between then. So picture that little bitty baby with the chubby legs and the diaper trying to stand up on its own two legs. And I'm sure you've seen that before as a little child learns to walk and they take a step or two or they try to just get up on their legs and then they plop back down on their booty in hopefully a nicely padded diaper. Um, so 29 years after we signed that peace treaty in Paris to end the American Revolution, we had another war 
1812 to 1815, the War of 1812. 30 years after that, just 30 years, we had the Mexican-American War from 1846 to 1848. 13 years after that, 1861 to 1865, we have the Civil War. 54 years later, we have World War I. So we just would barely get standing up on our own two legs and we fall back down on our booties, just like a little baby learning to walk. America has known very little peace. Okay, so then you have World War I, 1914 to 1919, and then in 1945, just 30 or so years later, we have World War II. So think about all of these things happening within a very short period of time. You know, we study them in isolation sometimes in history class, and we forget how close together a lot of these things were. So there are people who were alive long enough to see three or four of these wars. Um, so then you have Prohibition, the repeal of Prohibition in 1920 to 1933. A very, very big deal from a spiritual perspective looking at history. A very big deal happened July 10th, 1925. And that was the state of Tennessee versus John Thomas Scopes, better known as the Scopes Trials or the Monkey Trials. Um, William Jennings Bryant was the lawyer for the defense. Well, actually, no, he was the prosecuting lawyer. Clarence Darrow was the lawyer for the defense. And what resulted from this uh, court case was that Christianity took a big hit. So let me talk about that for just a second. And I'm not an expert on any of these things. I have a lot of good sources of information to sort of help me along. But in essence, the state of Tennessee had passed a law saying that, um, creationism or that intelligent design needed to be taught alongside of um, evolution in the classroom, that you could not have a curriculum that did not include intelligent design or um, creationism. And so the ACLU heard about this law being passed in Tennessee, and they said, we're going to test that law. We're going to find out. Um, so the ACLU picked a teacher and the teacher hadn't even taught against that law. The, the teacher wasn't even a science teacher. It was a math teacher. But they picked this guy and they schooled him and, and, and groomed him to be the poster child for challenging this law in Tennessee. And so the lawyer who was supposed to be defending this law, defending um, teaching intelligent design in the science classroom, was just not a very good lawyer. In fact, he wasn't very um, well taught in apologetics. He did not know how to defend the faith, and he just used the argument, which I have used in our sessions so far, but when you teach kids that, you know, they're just higher forms of animals, what what do you expect to happen? You know, the, the whole moral compass goes away. There's no need for it because, you know, it's just biology. But he used that without using a lot of other things, and he did not do a good job defending the faith. And as a result, Christians looked really stupid. And um, it was it was not a, a happy day in in Christianity. And that started a sort of downward spiral in church world. So I'm going to put a pin in that. Let's keep going. So then you have the Great Depression in 1929. It lasted until 
1936, you have the Dust Bowl in the middle of that, then World War II in 1939, and in the middle of all this turmoil and upheaval and war and depression and the challenging of, you can imagine how people who might have otherwise been Christian or might have been interested in finding God would look around and go, where is God in all of this? Um, so these, this is when the ideas of Karl Marx and Sigmund Freud and Julius Wellhausen, who was a, a famous German theologian, he had a, a lot of negative influence on uh, the church and doctrine. Um, these ideas started filtering into our culture. And then you even see this modernism, this idea of all this disillusionment in the government and disillusionment in faith. And you have all the men going off to war and you have the women going into the workplace really on a large scale for the first time. And suddenly you have children without their intact families at home and without a home cooked meal at night. And, and you see people who are struggling financially and you see war and depression and so these ideas start to infiltrate our society and you see them reflected, this disillusionment in everything, reflected in fashion. You see the hemlines coming up. You see, um, you see it reflected in literature, music, art. And sadly, it started to infiltrate seminaries and churches, this modernism. The key word in all of this is disillusionment, disillusionment in in government, in church, in God, in family, all of those things. So this is from the textbook we're using from page 149 from Understanding the Times. Modernism is a broad term used to describe a range of arts, attitudes, philosophies, and cultural moods that emerged following the 18th century Enlightenment. It's characterized by a strong belief in rationalism, empiricism, and the technological progress, as well as skepticism toward the supernatural, special revelation, and the authority of religion. So that's modernism, and that's really not what I wanted to talk about today, but in order to, to use the term postmodern, we have to know what modern is. So you start to see a real rift, a chasm between traditional biblical Christianity and sort of modernist theology. I showed them a um, political cartoon in class, and you see a set of stairs heading down into a dark place, a, a basement. And you see at the very top stair, you see Christianity. And then the next step down, you see the Bible is not infallible. And then you see man is not made in God's image. And then you see the next step down. There are no miracles. And the next step, there is no virgin birth. And the next step, there is no deity. The next step, there is no atonement. The next step, there is no resurrection. And then at the bottom, you see agnosticism and atheism. So the church was starting to be affected in the seminaries and the pastors. So post-modernism, which is the worldview that we're talking about today, Postmodernism is even more extreme than that, but it's also a reaction against modernism. So here are some sort of basic descriptors for postmodernism. Postmodernism is suspicious of all meta narratives. That's a fancy word for historical accounts. They're suspicious of all historical accounts. Um, Postmodernism teaches that 
ultimate reality is inaccessible. There is no way to know what is real. So instead of the modernists who think, you know, well, all we have is science. We can't trust the government. We can't trust religion. We can't trust the Bible. We can't trust the basic traditional family. Postmodernism says it's all suspicious. All historical accounts are suspicious. It just, whoever the winner is, writes the history book, and it's what their opinion of history is. Um, which, by the way, talk to your kids about that when you hear that a lot these days. Um, so they teach that ultimately there's no way to know what's real. Reality is inaccessible. Knowledge is a social construct. That's, that sounds deep, but that's happening in education too, and it's happening in other places. You've heard people say, well, that's your truth. Well, that's my truth. That knowledge is just something we make up to make our society work, that it's not objective truth. Um, and that truth claims are just political power plays. If you claim you have truth, you're just trying to get power. So they're suspicious of anyone who says they have the truth. Anyone who says that anything is, is knowledge or that you can know that, they say you can't really know anything and you can't know what's real. So in the end, postmodernism is a worldview that denies all worldviews. That sounds really dark and really different. So here are seven assumptions of the postmodernist. First, no universal truth can be known, only what's true for myself. Second, no objective reason can be applied because reasonableness depends on the narrative or the tradition or the institution or the culture. The third thing, no objective knowledge. Nothing can be known. All knowledge is based on or situated in our experiences. No one narrative explains everything. This is the, the seven assumptions of a postmodernist. They believe that no one narrative explains everything. The world is too fragmented and complex to say that one worldview explains it all. The fifth thing is, there is no God or God's eye view of the world. We have to draw our own meaning from the world for ourselves. The sixth thing is that social order is constructed through language and is biased. Oh my goodness, I could spend hours on that one because I am a language teacher. But they believe that social order is constructed through language, that language is what we use to control people and to create uh, ideas. And then number seven, that no one can be neutral. There's no such thing as neutral. Our view of the world is colored by culture, language, history, and gender. So you can kind of see how some of these things have infiltrated society today. But the thing that you need to understand about postmodernism is that it goes all the way back to ancient Greece. These ideas that nothing exists even if something exists, nothing can be known about it. This, um, these all go back to a guy, and I may not be saying his name correctly, but Gor Gorgias or Gorgias, G-O-R-G-I-A-S. And he wrote um, a book called On Nature or the Non-Existent. And he said the same things that the postmodernists are saying today in ancient Greece. 
In the Bible, King Solomon, who was considered to be the wisest man who ever lived, according to scripture he is, um, he said there's nothing new under the sun. And when you study worldviews, you realize, hey, there's nothing new under the sun. A lot of these ideas aren't new at all. Um, so Gorgias or Gorgias um, says nothing exists. Even if it exists, nothing can be known about it. If something can be known about it, the knowledge about it cannot be communicated to others. And even if it can be communicated to others, it cannot be understood. Okay, so here are some guys. You might recognize these names or you might not. Um, Friedrich Nietzsche. He was a German philosopher in the 1800s. As a child, he actually claimed the name of Christ, but by young adulthood, he had completely rejected Christianity and the idea of God or religion in general. He brought back Sophism, which is that ancient Greek guy, Gorgias or Georgias. Um, He brought that guy's ideas back um, into the, the 1800s. And then he influenced a whole generation of people who were becoming skeptical, including Foucault, a French philosopher in the 1940s who had a huge impact on thinking in the 20th century. It's pronounced pronounced Foucault. You might have seen it in writing and maybe not known that that's how it's pronounced, but it's F-O-U-C-A-U-L-T. You can look him up, but he was very influential on thinking in the 20th century. Um, And so some of these guys had a lot of influence over the ideas that we now call postmodernism. So I played a little game with the ladies um, in class and I showed them some of these terms, Um, the idea of using language to change thinking. Um, Think about some of these. We use the term senior citizen instead of old people. Um, I guess I'm almost now one of those, but anyway, we use the term collateral damage instead of saying death. Um, we send troops into a particular area to uh, go after the enemy, and there's collateral damage. What that means is that innocent lives were lost, but we use a term to soften it or to change our thinking about it. Um, the term pro-choice, um, they want to spin it to make it all about the mother's choice when those of us who are pro-life would say that's pro-death or pro-murder of the baby. So it's all about how you say it. These are just examples to show the postmodernist idea of using language to change thinking. Um, If you say someone is economical with the truth, what you're really saying is they're a liar. Um, It's just a nice way to say it. Um, When you hear that a company is downsizing, that means they're firing people. If you ask somebody, where can I wash my hands? What you're really asking is for a place to go to the bathroom, but you want to say it nicely. Um, So these are just some examples. As a teacher, I might say someone's not working to his or her full potential. What I really mean is your kid's lazy, but I would never say that to a parent. But one that's really crucial. Those others were kind of lighthearted, just kind of give you some examples. But this one's serious. Um, There has been a recent movement in our political culture to use the term freedom of worship instead of freedom of religion, freedom to worship instead of freedom of religion. Now, the Constitution guarantees freedom of religion. That means we live in a country where you can worship whomever 
you want, wherever, and do the things that go with your faith. Freedom to worship is a much smaller idea. And yet, in recent political speeches, I have a link that I used in in the class. I wish I could share with you, those of you listening to the podcast. But if you want to Google Chuck Colson's comments on um, Hillary Clinton's speech, she was the first one to do it. Obama did it. There have been several who've, in their speeches, have used this term, freedom to worship, instead of what the Constitution guarantees is freedom of religion. Freedom to worship implies we're just allowing you to go to your house of worship and worship, and you need to keep it in your house of worship. That's a very different idea than freedom of religion. So you might want to look that up. You can Google it. Um, It's been something that's been in recent discussions because of some of these speeches. But postmodernists would say it's all about language. And even though those political figures mentioned are probably not postmodernists and probably more towards Uh, Marxism and secularism, um, they are using language to control thought or to influence thought. So So postmodernism seems really dark. You can't know anything. You can't really trust anything. It's it's kind of a, a dark worldview. But I would encourage you with this. If you do come across someone who is postmodern in their worldview, um, there are ways that you can share your faith very effectively with them. So let's look at life's big questions. Why are we here? What is the purpose or meaning of life? Is there a difference between right and wrong? Is there a God? The answer of a postmodernist is can't know. There's no way to know. So when they say how should we live and, and what is humanity, what does it mean to be human, they would say there's no such thing as human nature. When you ask the question, what's wrong with humanity or how should we live? Their answer is, we adhere to no meta narratives such as Christianity, but we should give up the search for objective truth in favor of pragmatism, whatever works. So a postmodernist is going to say whatever works. Well, how do we share Christ with a postmodernist? Here are some things that you might want to share with them. First of all, scripture is objectively true. It's an objectively true revelation from God. Romans 3, 4, 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Only God knows reality comprehensively, but humans may attain partial knowledge through God's revelation and using their minds in wise ways. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12. The postmodernist claims are logically flawed. They contradict themselves. If they say there's no way we can know, well, that's an absolute statement. And they're they're saying you can't know, but they're saying they know that. So it's it's, uh, logically flawed. And then Christians have a responsibility. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5. We have a responsibility to share our faith. And we have hope. And we have peace. We have things that someone who would be a postmodernist does not have. And I think there's a way to reach them. I believe that we can share God's truth. God promises in his word that his word does not return void. And so speaking truth into their lives with love and with kindness, I feel that we can reach them um, and share our faith. So I'm going to put a separate session on here about um, just a practical step-by-step how to share your faith. If you feel really shy about it, really uncomfortable about sharing your faith, 
I want to give you some simple tips for how to do that that are separate from our Sunday school class. I'll just post it as an addendum as a final post when we finish these worldviews so that you can kind of go through it and think through how would you share your faith. If you're shy or if you are um, maybe not as well versed in scripture or whatever, um, what are some ways that you could share your faith? So until then, I will pray for you and I pray that um, all of those who've listened to these podcasts, even if you're not a member of the Sunday school class, just catching up. But if you're um, a listener who has found our podcast and this subject matter is interesting to you, I hope you'll be encouraged. I hope you'll search the scriptures for yourself. There's so little I can do in a 20 to 30 minute podcast, but I pray that the Lord will bless you, make you a blessing to others. And until next time, um, God bless you. Bye-bye.